TurboTax experts make all your moves count, filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast, side hustled your way to some extra income, flipped a house, or finally bought your first rental property, your moves made a big difference in your life last year. Now it's time to make the most of your moves. Switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 84. Problem with fake it till you make it is that the human brain takes everything literally. So if you tell yourself that you're faking, your brain knows that eventually the clock's going to strike 12, right? And then like Cinderella, you turn from that that beautiful ball gown back to the rag. So you got to go back to who you were if you're faking. Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. How's it going, everybody? I am Jay Scott. I'm your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, and I am here once again this week with my lovely wife and co-host, Carol Scott. What's going on, Carol? Everything is just good right now, right? It's that time of year when we're taking a look back at all the different things we have going on and looking at the future, seeing what we want to simplify, what we want to expand, and how we want to streamline everything. And it's just such a great spot to be in because you can look back and see what you're most proud of, what wasn't working so well, and where you want your focus and initiative to be for the following year. So I love, love, love this time of the year. Absolutely. It's also that time of the year where we start looking forward to what are we going to do next year and what are we going to focus on? And for some of us, we look towards who are we going to be? Because a lot of us are always in the process of reinventing ourselves and reinventing our business and reinventing our livelihoods. And we have the perfect guest for anybody out there that is trying to figure out what you're going to be next year or how you're going to be a better version of what you are next year. His name is Dre Baldwin. We don't do a whole lot of mindset and motivation episodes on the show. It's just one of the things we decided early on that we weren't going to do. But for reasons we'll talk about when we get into the episode, we decided to bring Dre on. Dre is a former basketball player, professional basketball player, and he is a motivational and mindset expert. He's also the author of 27 books. He's a public speaker. He's a consultant. He's done four TED Talks. And he's here today to talk about his framework that he calls 
work on your game. And it's a framework all about being more productive, more successful, and basically becoming that person or that entrepreneur that you want to be. This episode is absolutely jam-packed with tips to improve your motivation, to help you focus, and just to provide a path for you to help define who you want to be right now and how to get there. This is just an absolutely great episode. I'm positive you're going to love it. A little bit different than than our other episodes, again, because we are focused on motivation and mindset here, but I think our listeners, you're going to absolutely love it. If you want more information about anything we talk about on the show, if you want more information about Dre or the stuff he's done, please check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow84. That's biggerpockets.com slash bizshow84. Okay. Without any further ado, let's welcome Dre Baldwin to the show. Dre, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. I've got to tell you, we have been longtime fans from afar. We love your message. You're so motivational, so inspirational. You have an incredible backstory. But I've got to share something with you that I think is super important for our listeners today, right? You did something that absolutely plays into one of the four principles that you live by and teach other people to live by, which is take some major personal initiative. You sent us a custom-tailored personal video of why what you have to offer is a perfect mix for what we talk about here on the show. And it's extra going the extra mile, doing things like that, really putting yourself out there, going above and beyond that can make a difference in everyday lives. So I had to mention how crucial that was in getting you on the show, and we can't thank you enough. So thank you for living by your example, and thanks for being here today. Oh, excellent. I definitely appreciate that uh, introduction, Carol and Jay. I definitely appreciate both of you having me on here. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That does play right into what it is that I do. So I'm glad that it worked. Absolutely, Dre. Carol is spot on. I mean, part of the reason, big part of the reason we don't do a whole lot of mindset episodes on this podcast. There are plenty of other podcasts, including yours, that's heavily focused on mindset. But when I saw your intro video that you sent to us, I knew we had to have you on. So thank you so much for being here. Now, for our listeners who don't know you, don't know your backstory, start with start at the beginning. What got you to where you are today? What is your backstory? It's truly inspirational. And I think our listeners are going to love to hear it. Sure. Well, I'll give you the, the three-minute version. I'm sure we'll fill in the blanks along the way. So come from the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Grew up always into sports. So playing backyard sports. And we didn't have backyards. We had driveways. So we had the concrete, not the grass. So playing you know, kickball in the streets, you know, basketball in the portable backyard courts, touch football. Eventually migrated to playing team sports. I tried to play football first, but uh, my family couldn't afford football equipment. So I never really played football. Then I played baseball for a few years. Until I realized I had no talent in baseball. I couldn't hit, throw, or catch. So I moved on to basketball. And that was where I felt like, even though I started out not very good, I felt like I had some talent and maybe something could come of basketball. So I kept playing. This is around the age of 14 when I started, which is pretty late for a player who's even thinking about going college to college to play, let alone to play pro. But I kept playing. I kept working on my game. And this is, we're talking the mid-90s here. So there's no YouTube, no Instagram, nobody showing me how to play. I basically was self-taught in basketball. Didn't make my high school team until I was a senior. Averaged two points a game. And for those of you who don't know basketball, two points is not a lot in basketball, maybe in soccer or hockey. 
But in basketball, that's not too much. So I ended up walking on in college, meaning I was not invited. I did not have a scholarship. The coaches did not know who I was. I just literally walked into the gym, tried out, showed what I could do, made the basketball team in college. But I'm at an NCAA Division three school, which is the third tier of sports. Most athletes at this level don't even think about going pro, let alone do they actually make it happen. But I was able to make it happen coming out of that D3 school simply because I know how to sell myself. I know how to market and promote myself and get people to notice what I'm doing and the, the positive attributes of what I'm doing. So because I was able to sell myself, I was able to connect with an agent and agents work in sports the same way they work in modeling or acting or in uh, movies the same way. They're the, the connects, the go-betweens. Agent got me my first deal playing overseas. Now, while I started playing overseas at the same time, start publishing videos to this brand new platform called youtube.com and it's 2005 and I, so i do literally mean brand new so all my content was basketball material all my audience were basketball players and they're watching my stuff i'm playing overseas it was no big deal because you all remember 2005 to 2010 youtube was just you know cat videos and your baby did something funny there was no money to be made on youtube so around 2008 2009 Players started asking me more questions, not about how to dribble and dunk. They were still asking about that, but they were asking about my approach to the game because they just saw the way I was showing up every day. And they said, who is this guy? He's not on TV. I never heard of him. Why do you show up every day to work out? Or how do you have a confidence in a game that you have in practice? They figured I would have that answer. Or Dre, you said in the comments that you got cut from your high school team three years in a row, but now you're playing overseas. Like, Why do you even keep playing? How do you have the mentality to even keep trying? Or how do you get yourself known on the internet? Because by 08, 09, this is the early days of influencing, branding. We just started using the phrases social media, content marketing. These were brand new phrases at this time. And YouTube was just now offering this way that you can make ad revenue off your videos. So all this happened at the same time. And at the same time, I found myself unemployed in basketball. I was a free agent without a contract. So I asked myself a really important question. And this is the big question that turned me from just a basketball player into what became a brand and an entrepreneur. And the question was this, how do I take the things that I love doing, which is playing basketball and something that I'm really good at, which is being on computers slash the internet. I've always been a computer geek, even though I'm an athlete. And how do I combine those two and make money from it? That question, I did not initially have the answer, Jay and Carol. This is an important insight that I always tell my audience that insight is not always about having an answer, it's about asking the right question. So when I asked myself that question, I eventually came upon the answer, which is invest more time into this, this internet thing that you have going here. Mind you, we, we weren't calling it brands then. We weren't calling ourselves influencers, but I had this audience and pe there was this energy there. And I remember telling a friend of mine, what I'm doing on the internet right now is gonna be bigger than what I'm doing playing overseas. And people who know me these days don't know me from playing overseas. Like, I bet neither of you have ever seen an overseas basketball game, even though you know I play, but everybody's seen a YouTube video. So when people see me in the street and they know me, it's from YouTube, not from overseas, funny enough. But that's what led me to investing more into my brand, into you know, coming up with this phrase, work on your game, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and just people getting to know that, hey, this guy plays ball, but the stuff that he's talking about is not really basketball. The stuff he's talking about is life. It just happens to come from sports. So that's kind of where I started at and fast forward to now, a full-time CEO owner of my company, Work On Your Game, where we take the tools you need to succeed in sports to get to that top 1%, and we teach how they apply at work and how they apply in life. And I'm sure we'll fill in the gaps along the way here.
Yeah, I, I definitely want to fill in the gaps. And I, I love this. And uh, I'll be honest, I talked to a million people that started on YouTube in 2005. It wasn't that uncommon. 99.9% .9 of them stopped in 2005, or maybe they made it to 2006, or maybe they made it to 2007. Like you said, nobody really knew what YouTube was. Certainly nobody figured out how to monetize it. Nobody, most people just didn't have the motivation and the discipline and everything else that it takes to keep just powering through and building their brand. And you saw that, you had that vision. And so there's clearly something that separates you from the 99.9% .9 of people out there that were on YouTube in 2005. Listening to some of your stuff though, what I've realized is there's plenty of stuff about you that separates yourself from 99.9% .9 of all the people out there. And a big part of that is what you have deemed your work on your game, these four principles of work on your game that you've kind of built your brand and your business and your motivational mindset around. So can you talk to us, what is work on your game? What are those four principles? And how have you personally used those four principles to kind of push through and do again what 99.9% .9 of people haven't done? Where work on your game came from was answering those questions that the players were asking me. So I started talking about discipline, why I showed up every single day to the gym to work out and how I even learned how to play basketball because nobody was teaching me. I'm on an outdoor court on the asphalt in Philadelphia, practicing on my own, just trying to figure it out. Second one was confidence, putting yourself out there boldly and authentically. And that came from me answering questions for the players because players will say, well, Dre, I go to the park and practice by myself the same way that you do. But then when I get in the game, and everybody's watching, I get performance anxiety, I get nervous, I know everybody's looking at me, I don't wanna mess up, and I make mistakes. So how can I have that same confidence when I'm being watched? So that was the second principle is confidence. Third principle is mental toughness. And I think this is, I would say this is one of the biggest ones, but then I could say that about all of them actually. So that's what makes, that's what I love about this philosophy. The mental toughness is about continuing to do the work, showing up every single day and continuing to believe in yourself and in your plans, even though doing the work and believing in yourself has yet to produce the desired result. And I tell people it's not mental toughness until things don't work. It's not mental toughness and everything's working. So all those times I got cut from a high school team, having a walk on at a D3, getting out of college and not having any prospects to play professionally. Nobody is not like agents were beating down my door when I finished playing in college. I had to manufacture that opportunity. So that mental toughness was required of me to even keep trying, even though I had the ability. And then the last one is personal initiative, making things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. All this you no know, mindset stuff sounds great. And like you said, Jay, there are a million people out there talking about it, but there comes a point you got to take all that mentality and you got to turn it into something tangible and you have to actually take action with it and make it into something real. So that's where you take all this stuff and all right, now how do we make a strategy? How do we make a plan and actually do something with this so that we get a real result so that we're not just talking this woo-woo mentality, motivation stuff, but there's something real behind it that people can say, okay, I see. I see you're talking about the mindset, but now I see the real results that came from it. That's what work on your game is about. So I want people to understand working on your game is not the last step in the process. It's the first step. You work on your game first, then you get an opportunity, then you perform, then you produce results, and then you get all the stuff you want. The love, the fame, the attention, the money, the girls, whatever it is you like. That's how it works. Love it.
So Dre, I would really absolutely love to dig into each one of these principles a whole lot more, especially like, think about it. We're business owners, we're entrepreneurs. We are husbands and wives and partners and parents and friends and community members in so many different roles that we're all having to fulfill simultaneously, right? So in the midst of all that, walk us through what are those things we need to be doing in terms of discipline? You say, you know, you just need to show up every day and do the work. Well, heck, I don't know about you, but for me, that's a whole lot easier said than done, right? We always feel like we're being pulled in so many different directions. We're fighting fires as they come about. How do we focus and just get some discipline to begin showing up every day and doing what is needed to be successful? Great question, Carol. So underneath this whole framework to work on your game, we have frameworks within the frameworks. So the framework for discipline is called the third day. And I talk about this in my book, Work On Your Game. The third day principle works thusly. The first day, let's say someone has taken some time away from working out, even this year with COVID and all of this, gyms were shut down for six months. Couldn't go to the gym. You finally start to go back and work out. So you haven't been there for a while. The first day you feel great, right? Because going to the gym is voluntary. Something you choose to do, you know, it's going to help you. You're going to be healthier. You're going to live longer, all of that. First day you feel great. You work out. The workout kicks your butt. You drag yourself home, look in the mirror, and you say, I'm doing this. Second day, you're still excited for it. I mean, think about the second time you drive a brand new car. It still smells brand new, right? You get to the gym, you work out hard. Now, it's a little bit harder the second day because you have that fatigue from the first day, and you're still not conditioned for working out every day. So your body's like, okay, this is something different. Workout's a little bit tougher, but you still push yourself through it. It's only the second time. You look at yourself in the mirror, and you say, a little bit less enthusiasm, I'm doing this. The third day, already, things change. On the third day, your body and mind are having a difference of opinion. On the third day, those new workout sneakers that you laid next to the bed, because you read the article about going to the gym, you said, put your sneakers next to the bed. Those sneakers feel like they're made of cement. On the third day, you don't want to look at that bubbly, friendly person standing at the front desk who says hi to you when you walk in because you're just not feeling it mentally. <laughs> on the third day, you don't want to hear it from your trainer or the instructor in the boot camp class because you just your body, your mind is just not feeling up to it. On the third day, this is the day when you send a text to your trainer and say, hey, just charge me for the session, but I'm not coming. All right, the third day is when your self-discipline or lack thereof reintroduces itself to you. And the third day is all about and it's not the third day is not necessarily one, two, three days in a row. The third day is an internal thing. Is any situation in your life where the newness has worn off, the novelty is gone, but there is work that still needs to be done, and you're the one responsible for it. And the reason why, like anytime I give a speech or I'm talking to an audience of professionals, entrepreneurs, I open with the third day because this is what separates the pros from the amateurs. Because an amateur can choose not to show up if they don't feel like it, and nobody's going to care because nobody's paying them. But as a professional, when you're getting paid for your job or you have customers who are buying from you or somebody who subscribed to you, you might not feel like being at work, but those customers are your boss. And if you don't show up, all right, that opportunity, that business may go away. So that's what the, when it comes to discipline, showing up every single day is a decision that you have to make to be the professional and show up every single day and do your job because that's what makes the pros the pros. Now, technically, the dictionary says a professional is a person who gets paid for something as your main paid occupation. The work on your game definition of professional, person who shows up every single day and performs regardless of how they're feeling. I absolutely love that. And I know all of us as, as entrepreneurs, 
we go through this just like I, I mean, people when when you work out. I mean, that first day you get up and it's like I am excited. Everything is great. I'm going to conquer the world. And then by the second day, you're just kind of like, oh, okay. I guess this is a little bit harder than I thought. I'm not like I'm not rich yet. I've been doing this 24 hours. I'm not rich yet, but I'll keep going. And by the third day, it's like your mind starts telling you, what are you doing here? And are you really cut out for this? And and you're starting to question yourself. And I'm guessing that's where that second piece comes in, that confidence piece. Because I know for me, and I talk to I talk to other entrepreneurs all the time. And the one thing we all have in common is it's a roller coaster. So basically, it, right now is great. And 10 minutes from now, I could feel like I just want to crawl into bed and give up. And then an hour after that, I'm feeling great again. And so I know for me, a big part of that is, is the confidence, the second piece of the work on your game. I have this confidence that I might lose the confidence, might get some of it back, then I lose it again. So talk to us about this second piece. Talk to us about confidence and how we build that, but just as importantly, how we maintain it. Absolutely. So with confidence, framework that I explained is called the super you. And the super you is you still being yourself, but is you at your highest possible level of confidence. So an example that I give is this kid, he's playing high school basketball. He gets to practice one day and the coach says, all right, today we're going to do something different. Now, a coach on a sports team, we all know the, the archetype. The coach is going to yell at you, point out your mistakes, tell you how you're messing up. That's what the coach is supposed to do, right? So the coach says, today, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to point out anybody's mistakes. I'm not yelling at anybody because today... I'm going to make each one of you pretend to be one of your teammates and you're going to show each other who you are as a player. So whoever is assigned to be you, you watch them because they're going to show you who you are. So every mistake that they make, you make it. Every, mis every good thing they do, you do that. So you show your teammate who they are today. And this player, his name is Tucker. He is basically a marginal player. So if it's 12 players on the basketball team, let's say he's the ninth or 10th best player. Mediocre on his best day. On this particular day, he randomly gets assigned to be his teammate, Mike. And Mike just happens to be the best player on the team. So I usually ask audiences, how do you feel like he performed that day in practice? His assignment is to be the best player on the team. What do you guys think? What do you think he did that day? I'm, I'm guessing that, that he probably stepped up his game. He told himself that he was better. And, and he convinced himself because I know mindset is so important. And so I'll let you tell me if I'm right, but it's something that I love this. So yeah, I would assume he stepped up his game. Yeah, I'm thinking he supremely kicked butt. Like he stood a little taller, he moved a little faster, was a little bit more skilled in what he was doing and he performed like never before. Is that right? You both got it right, yes. He went out and he performed, he said he performed that day better than he ever performed in his life. He was making all kinds of shots, doing all kinds of moves that people had never seen. His teammates are looking at him like, where is this coming from? And when practice was over, the coach looked at him and said, man, if that's what it takes, you need to pretend to be Mike every day. Because what he had tapped into is this super you. And super you is not fake it till you make it, which is something that a lot of people talk about when they talk about confidence, pretending to be something that you're not. And you know, the problem with fake it till you make it is that the human brain takes everything literally. So if you tell yourself that you're faking, your brain knows that eventually the clock's going to strike 12, right? And then like Cinderella, you turn from that, that beautiful ball gown back to the rags. So you got to go back to who you were if you're faking. But when you're being the best version of yourself, being is a, a permanent change. You chose to change into this version of yourself. And the thing that I tell, when I tell that story, 
this guy Tucker didn't all of a sudden come up with these skills out of nowhere. He already had these abilities within him. It's just what confidence is. One of the main things that nobody ever brings up. It's you giving yourself permission to no longer conform to being who you've always been. And that's really the key that changes everything. When you say, okay, I don't have to be this person. Everybody knows me as this person, but I'm going to have the courage to step out and be something else. And people are going to look at you funny. People might laugh at you. Somebody might ridicule you or question you or challenge you, but you're still willing to be that person and stand on it. That's when things actually change in life because the, the principles of achieving is you be it first, then you do it, then you have it, right? It's be, do, and have. So the being part comes first. The challenge that a lot of people have in life is that they first start with the doing. They just start doing stuff. And then when it's not working, they're wondering why they're not getting the result. But in the answer to your question, Jay, to answer the rest of this is how do you maintain that confidence? It's a choice. See, confidence and discipline work off each other. And I tell people discipline breeds confidence. So when you're confident, you have to have the discipline to continue sticking to that super you, even if let's say you step into the super you and you fail and you come up short, you don't make the sale. All right, you don't get the, the promotion. You don't make the shots. Do you still have the discipline to keep stepping into that highest version of yourself every single day until you start getting the results that you want? It is a choice. I, I really love that. And I, it, it's a subtle distinction, but you talked about the don't fake it till you make it, but you're still kind of faking it till you make it. It sounds like the distinction there is that, the, or the difference there is that in your version, the version that works is you're being honest with yourself. You're saying, I am, I'm not the greatest in the world, but I'm going to go out there and act like I am. But in the back of your mind, you know, you're doing this for your own benefit as opposed to lying and, and trying to deceive others. So it's really an internal honesty that is the difference. And it's, it, I found that in this world, when you're honest with yourself, with, when you're honest with others, it gives you a freedom to just perform. And when you have to keep up a lie, doing the, the true definition of fake it till you make it, you end up in a situation where you're so concerned about trying to keep up that lie that you can't be the best person that, that you could possibly be. And I'd like to add too how powerful it is. And I really want to reiterate a thing you said a couple minutes ago, Dre, is that it's imperative that you give yourself permission to be the best version of yourself. It's about giving yourself permission, right? Because so many of us feel like we're just out there. We just need to prove ourselves and get others approval and make sure that people are cool with what we have to say and do. And we're not quite sure how we should step around that. So again, I just want listeners, I want you to remember this point. Give yourself permission to be that bold, authentic version of yourself that you know gives you the most potential to reach the things you want to do. So thank you for that nugget, Ray. I think it's hugely powerful. So take us to the next the next principle of work on your game, talking about the mental toughness. And I'd like to call out another side note. I absolutely love how these all they don't only stand on their own, although they do stand on their own and we could dig very deeply into each one. But I think it's looking like they all play into each other and they're all very interconnected. Right. So it's it's this wonderful ecosystem these principles have created. So talk to us about once you have got this confidence working, how we really look at mental toughness as far as work on your game. Well, the thing that I think we all know by um, age 12 is that not everything in life is going to work in our favor. All right. There, there are going to be times when we miss the shot. 
times when things don't go well, we launch a product and it's crickets. <laughs> Nobody's interested in what we have, what we're doing. And we thought it was going to work out perfectly. And this is when our mental toughness gets challenged. And the way that I describe mental toughness is your willingness to continue to be disciplined, meaning showing up every day, doing the work and being confident, putting yourself out there boldly and authentically, even though being disciplined and confident has not produced the result that you thought you would have achieved by this point. So when you're playing a sport and you got cut from the team three years in a row, who tries out the fourth year? Most people don't make it to the fourth year of tryouts. They got cut three years in a row. Or you keep releasing products and they're not selling. Many people don't release the next product or you don't try anymore. Like Jay, you said, you know, a lot of people who started on YouTube in 2005 and they ended on YouTube in 2005 because there wasn't a lot of, they weren't getting the traction. They didn't quite know where it was going. They didn't see a future in it. So they pretty much gave up. And this is what, I mean, in life, in so many areas of life, and some people call it grit, perseverance, stick-to-itiveness, persistence. I put them all under the same umbrella as mental toughness. Can you keep showing up and doing that job when things aren't working? And the key word that I tell people when it comes to mental toughness is until. A lot of people use if, maybe, I might. Until is I'm going to keep working on this. I'm going to try different ways. I'll get different information. I'll use a different approach until I get the result that I'm after. Whereas many people look at things and say, well, I'll try this if it works. I'll try this maybe if I'm seeing some results. But mental toughness is your willingness to keep going and stand strong on it and keep trying and trying a different approach, trying a different approach, trying a different approach until you get the outcome that you're after. And I think mental toughness is the key that separates the, the talented people who become great from the talented people who become wasted potential or wasted talent or could have been or should have been. Yeah, this is great. And it, it really, it boils down to consistency and not giving up. And it's, it's no different whether you're a Navy SEAL or you're an entrepreneur. It's, it's really just pushing forward and not taking give up as, as a response. But here's my question. I mean, we all end up getting this negative self-talk at some point. We tell ourselves, no, we're not good enough, failed the last five days in a row or the last five months or the last five years, and just you're ready to give up. How do you get past that negative self-talk? Do you just not talk to yourself? Do you talk to yourself in a, in a better way? Do you say different things? Do you, I mean, what do you do when those negative thoughts start to creep in and you can't push yourself any further because you're just like, you're, you're convincing yourself you're not good enough well the framework that i use for mental toughness is conditioning and in the sports world in basketball for example we do conditioning workouts where we get on the court and we're doing all these sprints all over the court the long way sideways stopping at certain lines going back and forth all kinds of sprinting back and forth and the whole purpose of the conditioning ostensibly is so that when you get in the game you don't feel fatigued right but what a lot of people don't understand about conditioning in sports is the purpose is not that you don't feel fatigued because if three of us went out to a court right now and we did a bunch of full court sprints, all of us are going to feel some fatigue. Now, the difference is between a, a well-conditioned person, the well-conditioned person might need 30 seconds of rest before they can sprint full speed again, whereas the poorly conditioned person might need 30 days before they can sprint again. And it's the same way mentally when being properly conditioned or well-conditioned mentally does not mean that you don't have setbacks or that negative self-talk or you don't question yourself or you don't have that self-judgment or you don't hear negative talk from the outside world is a matter of 
how long does that negative talk or negative self-talk slow you down before you get back on the horse and keep doing your thing? And the more properly well-conditioned you are, the better you will be able to get back and do your thing versus when you're poorly conditioned, you might have had a setback three years ago and you're still using that as an excuse today. So that's the difference when it comes to how well-conditioned you are when it comes to your mindset. So basically your mind is just like another muscle. And if you use it enough and you, you tell yourself positive things over and over and over again, um, you're, you're going to get that muscle memory, that mindset memory. Um, and, and yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. You can train for it. it and it's a discipline. So that, like you said, Carol, these all work together, disciplining yourself to be in condition again, going to that mental gym every single day. And that is a lot of things you can do for that. A lot of methods for that builds that mental toughness. I love it. I love it. So the fourth principle, our personal initiative, again, it all rolls into all of the other principles, right? You need to take the personal initiative to have this discipline, to maintain this confidence, to remain mentally tough, to continue showing up, to just simply make things happen. So talk to us more about personal initiative. Man, personal initiative. I would say this is my favorite one, but they're all actually <laughs> like all of them. But when it comes to personal initiative, Again, this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. This is where you take all this mentality that you've built up, all these things that you've worked on, and you turn them into something real. And the biggest challenge for a lot of people, at least people who are into you know, self-development or mindset, things like that, is it feels good to take this stuff in and to talk about it and to write it down and to listen to it. But then when it comes time to, okay, now you learned as much as you need to learn. Now let's go do something. That's the step that a lot of people get. They get a little bit shaky at that point. And it's being willing to just put yourself out there into the world to be judged, to be criticized, to be looked at. And maybe it'll work and maybe it won't work, but you have to be willing to take the first step. And the thing that I tell people all the time is leadership is something that they say, take the lead. Now, you, nobody gives you the lead. You take the lead. When it comes to initiative, nobody gives you initiative. You have to take initiative. And in life, the boldness is followed by four. fortune favors the bold is how the saying goes. So you have to be willing to just step out there and make the move and try something and put it out there and see how it goes. If it doesn't work, at least now you have the activity knowledge. If it's a complete failure, now you have a story to tell. Now you have something that you can share with an audience later on down the line. And what I tell people in life is that you're either going to become a story or a statistic. And the statistics are the people who tried and failed and they become part of the numbers of, okay, out of every you know, 5,000 books that get optioned, maybe two of them make back their, earn back their advances or every 300 TV shows that comes out, only one of them makes it past the first season. But the stories are the people who have been through the same challenges, the same setbacks, the same problems, the same negative self-talk or outside talk. They fight through it, make it through to the other side, and then they get to tell their stories because they created success. And we only get to hear from the people who have a story to tell because they made it through the challenges. We can learn a lot from the people who failed as well, but you know nobody wants to pay them. Nobody wants to have them on their podcast because they failed. But when somebody succeeded, we want to hear their story. So it's just understanding that you're going to go through stuff no matter who you are. So you might as well keep going so that you have a story to tell in the end. And personal initiative is where you actually put all that into action. Don't wait for things to happen. Go make something happen. And what I've found in my life, Jay and Carol, you all can tell me, is that whenever I take initiative, even if nothing's happening, nothing's working, and I take initiative and just start doing things, good things start happening. And I don't think that's random. I don't think that's luck. I think that's 
just the energy of the universe. I know that's kind of woo woo, but it's really how it works. I mean, they say the energy you put out is the energy that you get back. And everyone seems to agree with that. So when you put the energy out, good things start happening for you. Could not agree more with with everything you just said. And just, uh, you know, a side note, I'm putting that energy out there. And when you just begin to do things to take that initiative, think about it. In its simplest terms, when you start doing things, you're connecting with more people. You're reaching out. You're talking with more people. You're learning more things. And just naturally, it organically grows. And what you're doing just continues to prosper. And I think, again, it's really worth noting one quote you said a minute ago. You're either going to be a story or a statistic, right? That's I, That is just so absolutely hugely powerful. And you have clearly become a story, not a statistic. So talk to us a little bit about how you personally have used these four principles to grow all of these amazing things you have going on. I mean, you're wildly successful in your YouTube channel. You've authored how many books? How how many now? 27. Yeah, 27 books. You are a keynote speaker. You are a consultant to corporations in getting teams to do better work together. You've had four TED Talks for crying out loud. That is so many things. So can you talk us through how back in the beginning, like you talked about back in the day when YouTube was still a new thing and people weren't yet influencing building their brand, which is becoming a lot more popular now. How did you use these four principles to realize that, you know what, there is something here. I'm going to go out. I'm going to take action. I'm going to become massively productive. I'm going to help others. Can you talk to us about the genesis of that? Absolutely. So when I first started playing basketball, period, the way that I learned how to play was by going to the park every day in the middle of the summers, 90 something degrees on asphalt and just practicing until I figured it out so I could become better at basketball. There was no one teaching me or training me. So when I became a professional in 2005, I put that video up on YouTube because I'll give you another uh, funny wrinkle to the story. Coming out of an NCAA Division III school, I didn't have any professional basketball prospects. There was no one asking to sign me. So in order for me to get even known by that world, I had to go to this event called an exposure camp. Now, most people listening to this may not know what an exposure camp is. It's pretty much a job fair, but for athletes. So instead of you showing up and just shaking hands and handing out a resume, though, you bring your sneakers and you play that sport, football, baseball, basketball, in front of an audience of decision makers. So these are not just random people off the street watching. These are agents, coaches, scouts, managers, owners of professional basketball teams around the world. They come and watch you play. So I went to this exposure camp it was in Orlando, Florida. Here's a personal initiative for you. We drove from Philadelphia to Orlando. 17 hours overnight. We left on Friday. The camp started 9 a.m. on Saturday. We hopped out of the car in the parking lot 9 a.m. and started playing. Now, I could do that at age 23. Probably couldn't do it now, but we did it then. And I did my thing at that exposure camp. Played pretty well. Played, we played two games a day for two days. So I have four games on tape. And I literally mean on tape. This is on VHS. Those of you, I think everybody remembers VHS. The three of us remember it. Okay. Now, any of you millennials listening, you can Google it or ask your parents. They'll tell you. <laughs> now, I had this VHS tape, right? And I knew I couldn't keep this forever. I knew, you know, if you drop it, it gets wet. You might lose it. So I said, let me put this somewhere where it will be safe for the future. So I had just heard that there was this new site where you could put video on there for free as much as you want. And that was YouTube. So I got this VHS. I took it to an audiovisual store. They put it on a data CD. And that's when I uploaded my first YouTube video. So I initially started, it was really for selfish reasons. I got on YouTube just for me. 
just to put my highlight video on the internet so I wouldn't lose it. Now, mind you, I haven't played a game of professional basketball yet. I came out of a D3 school. Nobody knows Dre Baldwin. So when I put the video on YouTube, I was not looking for attention. It was just for me. Then I came back to the video six months later, Jay and Carol, and there were comments on the video from random people that I didn't know. They were like, yo, who taught you how to play? How often do you practice? You know, can you make a video about dribbling? Can you make a video about dunking? And what I realized, the light bulb went off in my mind. I'm filling a void here because they weren't looking for me. These were just basketball players who had no help looking for someone to show them how to play. And this guy looks like he knows how to play. They didn't care who I was. They didn't care my background was. He just looks like he has what we need. Can you help us out? So I just started making more videos. I brought my cheap little $100 camera to the gym every day. I was just propping it up on the bench next to the court. And I was just let it run while I practiced. And that's how I got started. So over the years, to continue answering your question, I just kept putting out this content, just answering the questions that people were asking. And then around that 2008, 2009 period, when players started asking me more about the mental side of the game, and then YouTube uh, was purchased by Google, and they started running the ads on it. And I found myself out of a job at the same time. So this confluence of events told me, it gave me the, the insight to ask myself, uh, what can I do when I can get some control? Because I had, when you're a professional athlete, it may look bright and shiny when you're watching it on TV, but you have no control. The team decides whether you have a job or not. And if nobody wants to give you a job, you are an unemployed professional athlete. So I was an unemployed professional athlete. I said, all right, if I extend my life out for the next five years and it keeps going like this, do I have any control over my destiny? The answer was no. So at this time, I just read Tim Ferriss' four-hour work week, and I've been reading his book. And he had, and this is what he said, this little experiment he gave. I think this might have been on as well. He said, go to this free blogging platform or a free hosting platform called Weebly. Now, I think Weebly is still out. You can make a free web page, one page website, and you say, here's the product that I want to sell. And I'll say, I was going to make a dribbling product. Here's how you dribble a basketball. And the product is going to be $4.99. I'm going to see this, this, and this. This is all on one page. $4.99 to the program. Click this button if you want to buy it. And then when people click on that button, the next page will say, the product is under construction, but if you're interested, just put in your email address and we'll email you when it's ready. And Tim said, all you need to do is go on Google and you can purchase $5 worth of ads. Now this is back when you could just spend $5 on Google ads and get results. So I did this and he said, if you start to get email addresses, that means you have a market of people who are willing to buy this product. That's when you should go make it. I did this. I followed exactly what Tim said. I did it. I started getting email addresses. So I went and made that product. I called it Hoop Handbook. That's how I got started in entrepreneurship. I remember I sold my first product. Now, do you two remember the Blackberries, the Blackberry phones? Oh, yeah. oh, I'm on I iPhone to, now. I used to carry one around every obsessed. day. Obsessed. <laughs> Just click, 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 click. Oh yeah, the thumbs. Right. The thumbs were worn out constantly. Anyway, exactly. Per and then a the little click of the buttons. <laughs> of so when you got an email back then with the Blackberry, it was a little red light that would start blinking. Mm -hmm. So when the red, I remember the red light started blinking. It was maybe ten o'clock at night, the night that I put that product out. I made a little YouTube video and said, "Hey." Introducing Hoop Handbook. Go to hoophandbook.com. I had two products, dribbling and shooting. $4.99 each. The light started blinking. I saw an email. You sold a product. I was like, okay, I could do this for the rest of my life. All right, this is what I need to be doing. When I'm done playing basketball, my knees don't work anymore. I can do this forever. So I, I then had to get on my computer. This is how primitive I was. I had to send an email with an attachment of my PDF program to the buyer because I didn't know what automatic delivery was at that time. But a week later, I signed up for the site called eJunkie, and that let me do that. 
So then I started making more of these programs and just promoting it through YouTube, just telling YouTube, my audience, hey, I made a new program, made a new one, I made a new one. That's how I started to build my, the entrepreneurship side of things. And then when it came to the mindset thing, I've been making these hoop handbook programs, but then every Monday, and to answer the question about the, when, how I built work on your game, when I started talking about this mindset stuff, every Monday I would make this video called the weekly motivation. And this is where I would start talking about discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative, just my mindset and how I approach basketball and life. And this is where I started to hear, hear from people who didn't play sports. And they would say, Dre, look, um, I don't play basketball. I'm not trying to learn how to dunk, but I subscribe to you on YouTube just to watch that video every Monday. I, I ignore all the other videos you put out because I don't put out a video every day. I ignore everything else you put out, but I watch that video on Monday because what you're talking about, that stuff applies to life. I just want you to know that. So while I'm making these hoop handbooks, one day somebody left a comment on a YouTube video and said, Dre, you keep making all these hoop handbooks, but you talk about motivation every Monday. Why don't you make a mental handbook? I said, okay. And that was one of my books, the mental handbook, just answering the questions that my audience was asking. And I actually made that product hoop handbook came from a YouTube comment. So this is back in the days when you could have civil discourse in the YouTube comments. I don't know how it is for you guys, <laughs> but <laughs> I can't do that too much these days, oh, but yeah. back then it worked. So I, there is so much good stuff in here. And, and so just some of the things that, that stand out to me, number one, I mean, and this is something that is just, you do better than again, 99.9% .9 of people out there, but it's so important. It's just this consistency. So anybody that goes and, and looks at your YouTube channel, looks at your podcast, realizes, first thing they realize is there is a ton of content and it's because you've been doing it for 15 years and all these people that go out, they make three videos, five videos, even 50 videos, and then give up. They don't realize that Every video you make, you're getting closer. Every piece of content you put out there, you're getting closer. At some point, you wrote your first book and you probably, I don't know, I, I remember writing my first book. I didn't want to write that second one. And then after I wrote the second one, it was a little easier to write the third. And after the third, it was a little easier to write the fourth. It takes a while to get that momentum. But if you're consistent and you don't negatively, if you don't talk yourself out of keep going, Eventually it just works. And then the next thing is just the fact that you put out the content, you put out the contact, you are open to feedback, you are open to conversations, and that created an opportunity. Somebody said to you, hey, why not the mental toughness? Why not the, the mindset motivation courses? And that you opened yourself up for that and it appeared and you said it earlier it's not all this woo woo stuff that 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 you know what i'm talking about um but it's just the reality of when you have an open mind to opportunities those opportunities are going to find you that's right and it was just like you said listening and going off the the feedback that i was getting from my audience i tell people all, only thing that i do for a living is answer questions everything that i'm doing is just answering a question that was asked of me or I try to read into the minds of my audience. They present a challenge, which is really a question, but they don't know what the question is. I figure out the question, I answer it for them. Always find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine and More.
With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet, Chardonnay, or maybe you're more of a whiskey drinker. Well, one of their single barrel bourbons is sure to please. With a little help from one of their friendly guides, find the perfect bottle that's just right for you. Hosting friends or family and don't have time to shop in store? Well, that's no problem because Total Wine & More makes it easy to get everything you need for any occasion with curbside pickup and delivery. But you know what the best thing about shopping at Total Wine & More is? That every bottle comes with the confidence of knowing you just found something amazing. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine & More. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. That's TotalWine.com. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. B21. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. So I have a question. So you do lots of different things, obviously. So you write books, you create, you have a YouTube channel, you have a podcast, you do TED Talks, you do consulting. A lot of people out there, they struggle with trying to do too many things and trying to figure out the balance. Do I spend 80% of my time doing this, 100% of my time doing this, 5% of my time doing 20 different things? How do you decide how much time to focus on something versus versus doing a lot of different things? Where, where do those decisions come from for you? Well, the first thing is when I wasn't quite sure what is gonna be the thing that works, I would try multiple things at the same time and see what's working. And I would just look, I would, let me try, five different hustles here. Let's see which one of these is producing. And then that's the one that I'm going to pay attention to. And if this one stops working, let me find out why. Maybe I need to change completely. Maybe I need to do something different. So even with the hoop handbook stuff, that stuff was hot when I was playing basketball and I was a basketball player and I'm in a gym every day, but I'm not that guy anymore. So I don't really talk about basketball programs anymore. Now it's more on the mental game side of things and really solidifying the brand that I've created so I can carve out a space for that. So it's just looking at different things, seeing what's working, being willing to try different things and leveraging the skill that I developed in one area into the next area. So when it comes to kind of reinventing myself from the basketball player to this person who can walk into a room of people who know nothing and don't care about basketball, but I can still be respected in that room. I still took I borrowed some of the skills that I got from sports and I can still apply them over there. Now, I might have to start from the bottom of the totem pole because I haven't been in the game like all these other people have. But there are tools that I got from sports that can work over here. I It's my job to extract the usefulness from that and bring it over here with me. Now, I can still use this. It'll get me a little bit of attention. Oh, basketball player. But now I got to earn that. Now it's like, okay, does this guy have any substance? Now I got to prove that. And I had to do the work. And that's the legwork, the discipline that you had to put in to actually earn that spot. Yeah, so it's basically like uh, it, the, the basketball analogy. Stay on the balls of your toes. Don't commit to anything because you know, you don't know which direction you're going to have to go. And so I, I like that. So, yeah, keep keep your options open. 
And I would like to dig even a little bit more about something you just touched on, Dre, this whole concept of reinventing yourself when you're in one space and then you realize there's opportunity in another space in taking the skills you have from space one to transition over to the other. Can you give us some tactical tactical action tips, some pro tips on just the ways you might we might look at connecting with people in the new arena, things we might be able to bring to the table to reinvent ourselves and make that transition uh, easier and more successful. Sure. Do you want me to use myself as an example or you have an example of a certain type of person? I, yours, your personal examples would be phenomenal. Okay, great. So coming from the sports world and I wanted to get into the, I guess we'll call this the thought leadership world or slash entrepreneurship. Number one thing, I, I had a mentor a mentor who looked at my stuff when I first was getting out of sports and trying to get into, I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know there was a such thing as getting paid to give a a speech. I didn't even know that existed. But when she was looking at my stuff, she said, the first thing I noticed about you, Dre, when you called me was that you said you put out a video every day. And I said, okay, this guy's disciplined. All right. So that means number one, if I tell him something, he's probably going to do it. And number two, she was explaining to me like these companies out here who hire speakers, They want their employees to do that. They want their employees to show up every day and put their work out. And then the other thing was I was looking for ways to get myself out there. I was looking to take initiative. And I, somebody told me, hey, why don't you look up TED Talks? You know, you can give a TED Talk. All you do have to do is apply. If they choose you, you get to give the talk. I got chosen to give a TED Talk and they asked me, what do you want to speak about? So I said, I'll talk about confidence because players always ask me about confidence. So I gave my speech talking about confidence from a sports perspective. And when I gave that speech, people who knew me said, Dre, this is what you need to be talking about. You need to be talking about this mental game coming from sports into the business world, because people in the business world need confidence the same way the athletes need it. And people need mental toughness and people need to have that initiative to just get started, go do something because they already have the information, but they become what I like to call professional information gatherers. They become pigs, right? P-I-G, right? They just gathering information, but They never actually put it into action. So to answer your question here, Carol, is taking the skills that I had in the sports world. I knew I showed up every day. Then it was the confidence and mental toughness, the personal initiative. And I tried to figure out how can I explain this to somebody who doesn't play sports and make it work for them? So I had to create a framework for that. And I was using frameworks before I even knew they were called frameworks, but just the way that I can explain it. Okay, so explain this. Let me give you something tangible for it. The third day, I give you a tangible example for confidence. Let me give you a tangible example. Mental toughness, let me give you one. And I think people understand examples better than they understand these, you know, these uh, airy principles. So I always try to draw, even if I need to use an analogy, but something that people can tangibly understand so we can put some flesh to it. It makes it a lot easier for people to pick it up and to be able to use it. So that's just a, a skill that I've always had, even if I wasn't in this industry that I'm in right now. And another thing is the the last point I'll give you here is that coming out of the sports world, there's no job in the world easier than being an athlete. Being a professional athlete is probably the easiest job you can have. Now, that is not to say, because sometimes athletes hear me say that and they get offended. Like, no, my job is hard because we got to work out and we got to earn it. Yes, you're right. But we work two to four hours a day, pretty much. All our expenses are pretty much paid for. When you're playing overseas, you don't have to pay for anything. Your food is paid for. You're traveling the world. Everybody knows you. You're a celebrity and you play a kid's game for a living. It's the easiest job you're ever going to have. I work 10 times harder now than I did as an athlete. And I tell people that if you're coming out of the sports world, you have to be humble enough to understand that your, 
you're an entry-level employee now when you step into the thought leadership world you step into the entrepreneurship world you are a nobody yes you played sports but you played ed past tense all right so nobody cares about a former athlete all right a former athlete's nobody you used to play sports what are you doing now so i always had that mentality like how am i going to be how can i walk into a room and be somebody when i don't play basketball anymore and i always had that in my mind and one of the reasons was kind of like a blessing in disguise coming out of a D3 school, it wasn't guaranteed I was going to have a nine-year professional athlete career. I might have had a zero-year career. I wouldn't need to figure that out in 2005. I, luckily enough, and combined with my abilities and performance, was able to make that stretch. But I knew, all right, when I get done playing, who am I going to be? And it's something that I heard uh, Kobe Bryant say. He said it after he played. Now, Kobe was one of the greatest of all time, right? Made half a billion dollars playing sports. He said, when he finished playing, if 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the greatest thing I did was play for the Lakers, I'm a failure because I'm still living. So if I live from 40 to 60 and I only think the best thing I ever did was what I did from 20 to 40, then what the hell was I doing for the last 20 years? So I, when I heard him say, he said it, I mean, maybe a year ago before he passed, but that's something that I always had in the back of my mind. Like, how do I make myself somebody? I never want to be a used to be guy. I never want to be a has been in anything. So I was always looking for ways that I can continue to be valuable and put value out into the world, no matter what I was doing. I love that. And I think it probably goes for everybody, not just professional athletes, but anytime you switch gears from something you've been doing for a long time that you're really good at to something new, you basically are going from something that has gotten easy for you to something that's difficult. I mean, Carol and I were in the corporate world for a long time and we weren't professional athletes, but let me tell you something, after 20 years in the corporate world, we were pretty good at what we did. And so every day, it wasn't a struggle. We'd go in, we'd do our job that we had spent 20 years perfecting. And then the day we got out of that, doing something that seemed much easier was actually really tough because we just weren't good at it. And so I think everybody, not just professional athletes, anybody that switches from something that you've done for a long time that you're really good at to something brand new, it's always scary and it's always difficult. And 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 I absolutely love uh, the last thing you said, which was just if you've made your mark between 20 and 40 and you just kind of coast on that until you're 60 or 80, um, you're leaving a lot on the table, not just money-wise, but also mindset-wise, also uh, happiness-wise, uh, satisfaction-wise. Like, just got to keep pushing. So love that, love that, love that. Thank you. I want to switch gears a little bit. So you have given four TED Talks. Maybe this is just my personal, um, I, I don't know if my if, if our audience cares about this. I'm guessing they do. Uh, but I'm asking this question for me because I've always thought about giving a TED Talk. And it's and like me, kind of- And me, and our audience, and everybody. Yes. Like, that's that's the holy grail of all of this. Not, what, like, one TED Talk is a big deal. Four is off the charts amazing. Talk to us about how that process works. Talk to us about the experience. Talk to us about how we would even begin to go about making that happen for ourselves to elevate our brand? Sure. It's actually a pretty simple process. Not easy, but simple process. Uh, the first step in the process is you just identifying a talk that you want to speak at. So there are TED Talks all over the place. This year, they kind of got destroyed because of COVID. They're usually in person. So hopefully in 2021, they get back on the horse. Hopefully everybody gets back on the horse in 2021, as far as live events go. So identify an event that you want to speak at. You can set a Google alert to look up, let you know when there's a call for speakers for TED Talk, something like that. Go on the TEDx website, 
find an event. It doesn't even have to be local because you can, we got planes out here. You can get on a plane and go there. So then the next thing is you have to put in an application. This is the, the biggest part of the whole situation is the application because TEDx events, depending on how popular it is in a certain locale, like I did one, I did two in Miami. I did one in Vegas. These are big places. So people are, everybody's applying to speak at these things because a lot of people believe they have something that they want to share. So the key here is selling yourself through that application. That's really the whole game is you got to sell yourself through the application. So the questions that they'll ask, they always, many of them ask, there's a lot of common questions. What is the big idea? What's the big idea that you want to share? And I believe that one sentence, because it's like that short entry box, that one sentence right there is the make or break as far as I'm concerned. What is the big idea that you want to share? Because if they're looking through 200 applications and they're picking 15 speakers, they're not reading. I don't think they're reading every detail of every one of them. They're looking for the ones that catch their eye, filtering out, and then they read the rest. So what's the big idea? Explain the big idea. What are the takeaways? Who are you? What gives you the authority to speak on it? And maybe nowadays, a lot of times they're asking, do you have any examples of you speaking to a camera or to an audience that shows that you know, you actually know what you're doing when you get on the stage in front of people. So that application, I think, is the crux of the whole thing. Because if you pass that part, then you get to the, the downhill action, which is preparing your talk and actually giving it as long as you don't have no stage fright. Then the next step is the, when you're chosen, usually, and I've done four events, so it runs the gamut from how they do it. For example, my most popular talk, and you can take this for what it's worth, they did so much preparation. I mean, I knew that speech by heart by the day of the event. I knew the speech by heart a month before the event because they had us do so many rehearsals. I met with them three or four times in person because it was in Miami. They had me have this. They said, we're going to do a rehearsal where you need to know the entire speech word for word a month before the event. And they were really detailed on it. And they had a whole committee of nine people. They went through the whole speech. They said, write it down. Let us read it. We're going to give you feedback. Change this part. We don't like this part. You need to flesh this part out. Wow. We did all of this rehearsal and it was very, the production was top notch. I mean, this was top notch production and that became my most popular talk. So again, you can take that for what it's worth. Then I did other events where I got booked and I didn't even meet the people to the day of the event. Huh. And it was like, Hey, we'll see you there. <laughs> and the day before, I remember the one I did in Vegas It's called too much confidence is not your problem. The day before we did a, a sound check. And each person got to go through their talk. I didn't even know my talk yet. And I was like, the day of the event, I mean, I'm pacing around outside the venue right before I go on. And I'm like, all right, I hope I do not mess this up. But I'm a performer. But I, I got up there and I said it perfectly the way that I needed to say it. But they didn't do any preparation. They didn't have a committee. It was one person chose me. It was one other person there. It was well produced. The production was great. It looked great. But they didn't do anything to prep me and make sure that I had it right. And the, the another event that I did, it was similar to that. And then the fourth one, it was a little bit more production, a little bit more work, but not really. So it really depends on what kind of event that you choose. The more professionally run events are usually the ones that have been going on for years and years and years. And the easiest way to tell that, if anybody's trying to figure it out, is go look at their events that are on YouTube. So if you're looking at TEDx, the Villanova, go look up their previous events and look at the video. Look at the quality of the video. Listen to the quality of the audio. If it's really sharp and really well produced, they probably have a very professional team, which means they're going to be really on point as far as who they choose and why. But then you're going to have an amazing video, like kind of video you put on the homepage of your website. But if it's an event that may be brand new, it's their first time doing it, the video might not be too great. The audio might get messed up. 
They're not really going to be real, go through a, with a fine tooth comb, everything you're going to say and make sure that you have it right. So it really depends. It can really run the gamut when it comes to uh, TED Talks. It's kind of like people asking, you know, how much money do you make as an entrepreneur? Well, it depends, <laughs> right? That, <laughs> Everybody's that, different. It depends on what you're doing. That, that's really interesting. So I always knew that the, the, the TEDx were run by different people, but you always assume that there's some master set of guidelines that they all follow, but I guess that's not the case. So let me ask you a question. If you were- Except for in, the red carpet. Okay. The red circle, they all got that. <laughs> So, so let me ask for somebody that's new to this, that somebody's going to do their, they want to apply and do their first Ted talk. Would you recommend they focus on one of these well-produced, highly organized, memorize your speech word for word type events? Or would you say they should go look for the ones that are less well-produced where you may not get as much support, but you may have more likelihood of being chosen. What would you do if you were starting over? I was starting right now. I would apply to everyone that I saw and whoever picks me, I'm doing it. Awesome. That's what I did when I first got started and have a, have some type of framework in place for what you want to talk about, because the easier you can make it for them to understand the higher the chance that they're going to choose you. Love it. Love it. it. That's fantastic. Okay. Well, we are about an hour into this episode, so I think it's about time we jump into the final segment that we call Four More, and that is where we ask you the same four questions that we ask all of our guests, and then the more part of the Four More where you tell us how our listeners can connect with you and find out more about you and what you're doing. Okay, so I will ask the first question. So, Dre, what was your very first or your very worst job, and what lessons did you take from it that you're still putting into practice today? My very first job was working at Pizza Hut. I was maybe 14 or 15 years old. And my original job was working at the cash register where I would just take the phone in orders and cash people out when they were paying. But what I noticed, what I took away from it was I noticed that the waiters and the waitresses, when they would work, they would get tips and they would get money that they could put in their pocket and take home that day. And I said, I want that. So I started agitating with the the bosses, the managers, hey, I want to be a waiter. I want to be a waiter. And they finally let me wait tables. I remember the first table I waited was these two older ladies and they complimented me. They said, you're very attentive. And this is back in the nineties when the tip, normal tip was 10%. So they left me like a dollar and 80 cents. And that was my first ever tip. So what I learned from that was if you want something, you got to ask for it and you got to be willing to keep asking because you probably won't get a yes first time around. That's excellent. And talk about something that has come full circle and you still use today. That's fantastic. Okay. Question number two, you clearly work with lots of business people in all different kinds of industries all over the place. And so Dre, would you share with us uh, what is the best piece of advice that you have for entrepreneurs or business owners or just people in general that you haven't yet mentioned today? Best piece of advice is figure out what audience you want to own. What is going to be your target audience, your niche audience, and own that audience. Do not find, do not chase uh, shiny object syndrome, which is really hard to do these days with social media. Every time you open it, you see somebody else doing something that looks like you should be doing it. If they're good at it, they make you think you should be doing it. Don't chase that shiny object. Focus on your target audience. You know, I was just reading a book about In-N-Out Burger, and they talked about that how they stayed focused, family owned, while all every other restaurant was franchising and getting corporate funding and exploding their company. They stay focused mm. on just being them and they're still super popular all these years later. So stay focused. Love, Love that. It. 
Yeah. And I was funny. I was just reading an article this morning about over the weekend, the first In-N-Out Burger opened in Colorado. 14 hour, 14, not 14 minutes, 14 <laughs> hour long line. People are waiting in line for 14 hours to get In-N-Out Burger. How crazy is that? That says you're doing something right. Okay. Question number three. I'm going to switch this one up a little bit. Normally, this is what is your favorite book out there? And I want to. I still want to know what your favorite book, what book that that you've read that we should all be reading. But since you've written 27 books, I also I'm going to ask you a two parter here. One, what is the best book out there that you recommend we be reading that you didn't write? But then also for any of our listeners who are thinking, oh, okay, I got to pick up one of these 27 to get started. What's the best book you've written or the most applicable book you've written maybe to our audience for them to get started uh, if they want to pick up one of your books today? Great. So on your first question, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to give you one this mindset and one that's more tangible business. The mindset one would be my favorite book of all time. It is The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. I uh, came across this book in maybe the year 2000, saw it in the bookstore back when we used to buy our books in bookstores before Amazon took over. And I remember just reading through those chapters and the chapter that caught my attention was chapter 28, Interaction with Boldness. And I, that chapter just spoke to me. So I'm a huge Robert Greene fan. He's my favorite author. That one, when it comes to mentality and when it comes to dealing with other people, 48 Laws of Power for everybody. The other one, when it comes to the business audience, the entrepreneurs, I would have to go with Good to Great by Jim Collins. A amazing book. Even though the book was studying corporations who are publicly traded, that's what the book was about. And I'm not in a corporation. My company is not publicly traded, but I read that book and I said, these principles apply to anyone, any human being. The hedgehog concept and the things where they talked about Walgreens and how they focused on their like their main thing. I was like, this is incredible. No, I never heard anybody talk about it like that before or since. So those are my two books. And as far as for me, the book that I would recommend to everybody, are we on video? Is this people going to see this video? Uh, a lot of people will, but not everybody. So you have to say it too, but you can hold it up if you want. Yes, I got it right here. It yeah. is my book yeah. called, believe it or not, Work On Your Game. Use the pro athlete mindset to dominate your game in business, sports, and life. So all four of those principles are in there. We talk about being a go-getter. We talk about reinventing yourself. Basically, I take the entire ethos of what I've done. And of course, my story is in it, but this is not a memoir. This is a business book that is all the things that I learned from the sports world to entrepreneurship, just making it happen when you had to build it up from zero and how those mental tools apply tangibly to become real things in life. So it's work on your game. You can get that. It's obviously available on Amazon. You can also get it at workonyourgamebook.com where we give you $1,300 in immediate digital bonuses for your purchase. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, my fourth question of the four more, which is a fun one that I always have a nice time with, is what is something along the way, Dre, that you have splurged on in your work life, your personal life, whatever, however, whenever, wherever, that was totally and entirely worth it? Something that I've splurged on that was totally and entirely worth it. Hmm, that's an interesting question. It can be a thing. It can be an experience. It can be education. It can just be some big fat expenditure that is not something you're going to be doing on a daily basis. That is maybe a little bit out of your comfort zone and you wouldn't trade it for the world. Hmm. Maybe a bit out of my comfort zone. I wouldn't trade it for the world. That's an interesting question. <laughs> I don't know about that. I got to think about that one a little bit. The most, the best thing that I have splurged on, I would say, would be um, when I was playing professional basketball. This is the first thing that comes to mind is the many events that I invested in myself 
to go to. So these were the exposure camps that the one that I told you about with the VHS tape, that was only the first one I went to. I went to about 15 of those over the course of my career. So you go to those events when you're looking for your next opportunity and you just want to get seen. And I went to events in Europe. I went to events all over the United States. And each one of those events just taught me a little bit more about selling yourself and marketing and promoting yourself and getting yourself known and just how just how industries work and how things work when you have power and when you don't. And that taught me a lot about what I talk about here, work on your game, especially to my audience and letting them know, listen, sometimes you just don't have the leverage. You don't have the power mm -hmm. and you got to take what you can get. And sometimes when you do have leverage, then you have the power to kind of call your own shot. But if you don't have it, then sometimes you got to play the game. You know, and that's a, don't get mad at the game. Don't hate the game. Don't hate the players. Just play the game, work on your game, then play the game. Love it. Okay, so that was the four part of the four more. Now for the more part of the four more, can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, where they can find out more about your books, about anything else that you're working on, where they can connect with you, anything you want to tell our listeners? Yeah, well, man, I'm everywhere on the internet. The only place I'm not on is TikTok. <laughs> I'm on every other social media platform, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. My website is called dreallday.com. I do have a book that people can get for free if they just cover the shipping. Can I tell you all about that? Absolutely. All right. That one is called The Mirror of Motivation. I'm holding it up here. But if you're listening, you can get this book. The subtitle is The Self-Guide to Self-Discipline. So the first work on your game principle, discipline. This is the book that you start with. Because people used to ask me, Dre, you've written 27 books. Which one do I read first? And I didn't have an answer. So you start with this one. The reason why you start with this book as I, for me to explain it, you can get this at mirrorofmotivation.com. The reason you start with this book is because everyone listens to this right now, you have goals and most people are willing to do the work. If you listen to this whole conversation, you're willing to do the work. You may just not know what, what the right work is. The challenge that many people come across and that they don't even know they have is that they never ask themselves the key third question. And the question is, who do I need to be? What kind of energy do I need to have when I walk into life? How do I want to show up every single day? What is my emotional and spiritual posture going to be? I don't want people to feel when they come across me. When you answer the question who I need to be, then the doing automatically comes with it. Because if, if you say my being is I'm a person who's in great shape, then the doing of not eating that extra cupcake and going to the gym every day automatically comes with it. So when the being is right, the doing comes with it and the results come after. This book gives you the frameworks for you to answer the question who you need to be. I'm not going to tell you. You're going to tell yourself. That's why it's called the Mirror of Motivation. You can get that. Just cover a small shipping charge by going to mirrorofmotivation.com. Other than that, just Google me and put in the name of your favorite platform. I'm there. I'm active every single day. All of them. I, I love it. Who do I need to be? You're even dropping uh, uh, words of wisdom in, the, in, your, in your final, final words. I love it. I can't help it. <laughs> no, that's Awesome. We appreciate it. Dre, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, sharing your, your everything. Framework. My God, there's the so looking, many things. I was looking for the word framework. I was, I, that's that word framework. Thank you for sharing your framework with all of us and congratulations on all your success. And I highly recommend everybody out there. Uh, like Dre said, he is all over the internet. Go find his books, find his talks, find his content, find his YouTube videos, find everything. Dre, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to talking with you soon. Well, thank you, Jay and Carol. I really appreciate you two having me on. Hopefully we gave some, some value to your audience today. So much. Thanks a million, Thanks Dre. So See you soon. Thank you. I absolutely loved 
all of the information and ideas that Dre brought to us today, right? A few that really stood out were this whole concept of the super you, right? We hear a lot about that whole fake it till you make it. And you know what? It doesn't need to be that way. I think we're each inherently born with and our life experiences give us this information and this this notion of who we are at our greatest potential. And it's all about giving yourself permission to just go ahead and be that person. And I also wanted to call out, as he was sitting there talking about the whole principle of the third day in terms of discipline, you saw my face, right? I'm just sitting there laughing because I could so massively identify with the whole working out situation, right? Number Day number one, let's go. Let's make this happen. I'm a rock star. I'm going to do it. Day number two, not as much. By day three, oh my gosh, are you even kidding me? So I love, 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 and I'm absolutely going to keep in mind that whole principle of the third day to just keep pushing through and realize that that day is coming when it's not going to be an easy decision, but knowing that the right thing to do is to continue being consistent, continue maintaining that momentum. So, so many great things packed in there. Yeah. And and I love it. it took It took an hour into the episode before he got to it or before he touched on it, because I guess we didn't ask the question the right way. Um, but for anybody out there that's looking to to build a brand and build an audience. I loved his tip about figure out who your audience will be first. I think too many of us like just start creating content and say, okay, we'll see who starts listening and then I'll kind of tailor to those people. But don't do that. Figure out who your audience is going to be before you start creating that content so that you can start tailoring your content and whatever you're you're putting out there to those people that you've already defined as your audience. So love that as well. Alrighty. Well, I think we're ready to wrap this up. Let's wrap it up. Alrighty. Baby. Everybody have a wonderful rest of your week. Have an amazing weekend and we will see you or talk to you or listen to you or you'll listen to us, whatever it is next week on the bigger pockets business podcast. She's Carol. I'm Jay. Now go give yourself permission to be that bold, authentic, best version of you today. Nice. Thank you. It wasn't mine. That was his deal for (laughs) sure. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you more than you know, and we can't wait for next week. Have a great one. Thanks, everybody. 